This is a Hot Pie Media Original. What you start doing is you start achieving these things in your career where something happens and you could be like, well, you know, I've gone through worse. Mm. Well, we've gone through worse, you know, and you start, you know, you start harkening back to those days where at least it's not that, at least it was not this. Or this didn't put us out of business and neither did that and that and that. And so while everything might, it's always, there's always a chance for that. Probably whatever this is, probably isn't going to. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7, and this is The Blueprint. I've spent my life helping Olympic gold medalists, NFL, and NCAA athletes be the best at their craft. Now I'm taking that experience and translating it into your life. This podcast is for busy professionals and household CEOs who care deeply about their family, career, and their health. There's an ocean of content to wade through, but I do the heavy lifting for you and still cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by Tiffany and Leon Chen. They are cookiepreneurs, authors, and the dynamic couple behind Tiff's Treats. In this episode, we discuss their amazing new book, It's Not Just Cookies, and we unpack their improbable entrepreneurial journey, how they juggle work-life balance, why generosity is a core to who they are, and how they create warm moments that strengthen the human bond. This was a really fun podcast to record, and I also enjoyed the preparation process as I got to read their book because for me, it serves as a blueprint for building a successful company, and they also give away some of the most popular cookie recipes. But now, please take one second and smash the subscribe button on whichever listening platform you're joining us from, as this is one of the best ways that you can support the podcast. But before we get to my discussion with Tiffany and Leon, imagine a team of world-class coaches and scientists focused only on you. These experts know exactly what you need today because they know precisely what your mind and body are ready for. That kind of guidance is now available to everyone. AIM7 is a wellness app that provides custom exercise recommendations to improve the outcomes of programs and workouts you already love. It unlocks existing data from wearables and other apps to provide empathetic and scientific guidance that's perfectly in tune with your mind and body. Your team of world-class experts is ready to get started. To get early and free access to this exclusive program, go to www.aim7.com. That's A-I-M-7.com and sign up now. There are limited spots available each month, so sign up now and reserve your spot. But now it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Tiffany, Leon, thank you so much for joining me today. This is a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're excited, Eric. It's great to see you. This is a joy for a lot of reasons. One, I'm really psyched about your book. Um, It's not just cookies. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I read it in like three nights. Uh, I was really into it because as an early stage founder of a startup, I found it very inspiring. It was full of some sage wisdom about how to build and scale a business. Like from, it's not sugar-coated, you know, it's like the reality (laughs) of how hard this is. And I appreciate how you kind of pulled back the curtains on how difficult it is to build a business, how it impacts your family, your relationships, your health, and you gave away your recipes. I know. (laughs) And for our listeners, this is also really special because we went to, like Tiffany, you grew up a half mile away from me. That's right. Yeah. And your brother and my brother are friends and we went to high school together and like your mom was a librarian. So there's all these like things and I'm like, from a distance, I got to see this. I heard about what was going on. And then I'm like, wait a second, like my friends are now working for this company and it's really cool. So let's dig in. Can we start with your origin story? Just like, how did this thing start? Well, yeah, it's, you know, uh, we, we go into it a lot in the book, um, but the whole thing really got started from a mishap, a misdate where this, my now lovely wife here stood me up on a date. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, I did stand him up on a date and as an apology, I made a batch of cookies and I drove those over to his house. And I think they just so happened to still be warm by the time I got over there. And mm-hmm. he had this light bulb moment where he said, we were in college at the time and he was like, we should make and deliver cookies to the other students at UT. And we'll do a business like pizza delivery, but with cookies. 
And she said no, of course, right off the bat. And it's really funny because we, I think I remember it as such that I could have left it alone. She did. She says I would have kept pressuring her to do it. Um, but uh, it was really just a, a little more than off the cuff, but it was like an idea. I had had lots of ideas in the past that we didn't act on. I didn't act on. Um, but with this one, all of a sudden she calls me uh, later that afternoon at the grocery store and say, and she's like, I'm looking at these looking at the pricing and these ingredients. She's like, yeah, let's give it a try. And we were 19 years old at the University of Texas. We didn't know anything, uh, how to do anything. And so it was just one of those things where we stumbled into this business uh, at first. Um, and the fact that we didn't know anything really turned out to be one of the better advantages that we ever had. We didn't know what we couldn't accomplish. Yeah. So we yeah. just started a couple of weeks later um, out of his college apartment. We just put out flyers and started the delivery service from his kitchen. I mean, that is, that is really crazy because usually when people start a business, there's a pain point, you know, like a very personal pain point. Some of the best businesses are like, I'm trying to solve a problem for myself. This was more like kind of just an idea of how you could serve others. Well, and yeah, so- you know, we were, we were in college and we knew that aside from pizza, you really couldn't get much delivered. That's and true. so we kind of knew that there was a, a gap and also we didn't know, but our whole concept was, our whole concept was focused around baking fresh made from scratch and delivering while still hot. The cookies yeah. which was novel at the time. It's still kind of novel. Still today. novel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something that we would have used. It wasn't a pain point. It was uh-huh. almost more of like a pleasure point that we saw that <laughs> yeah. like this could exist. Um, you know, we would get Chinese food delivered, pizza delivered but at the time. That was really it for delivery. And so, you were way ahead of DoorDash. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's pretty man. incredible. If you think about it, like another billion, that's a billion dollar company. And you guys, I mean, there was pizza delivery, but now you're talking about we can deliver other things and the innovation and stuff I want to get into. Something I want to touch on, though, which really was, I'm so thankful that you did this. Everybody sees the 1700 locations, you raised a million, $100 million in capital, you know, but you guys talk about the sleepless nights. You talk about how the business almost failed. And Leon in particular, you talked about the stress and some panic attacks. And I thought that that was, I'm thankful that you did that because I never had experienced anything like that until I was put under some pressure situations like, wow, this can happen to anybody. Yes. Do you mind sharing about how you learned how to manage that stress and maybe some habits or routine that you put in place in your life to help you mitigate against that? Absolutely. Um, I will start by saying it's a work in progress. It always will be. Um, you know, I, you hear people uh, who are in the 12 step program, the way they describe it, it's, it's not, I've conquered this and I'm done. It sounds like a process. And, and, and for, for me, it feels that way too, as far as I, I've definitely learned to manage it so much better. I haven't had a real true panic attack since those early days, but it is something that I, I, I think can come back easily if it's not managed properly. And so um, one of the things that I never give up on, or I never, I never make sure to, to uh, do away with is exercise and taking care of yourself. And so one thing is, even if we're busy as anything, Tiff and I will both make it a point to work out um, almost every single day be, uh, for us. And, you know, there might be an outlet for someone else that's different, but it really dawned on me back in those early days that this whole thing, if it was, it's going to work, it's going to be a marathon and not a sprint. And so really taking care of yourself uh, in any way, shape or form, whether it's diet, whether it's uh, uh, exercise, uh, mental health, the way you look at things, the way you uh, put things in perspective. Um, it's work every single day. And I think putting things in perspective is one of the challenges that Leon faces sometimes because he is so intense about things and things do hit him in waves in probably ways that they don't hit everybody. They don't hit me the same way. So the same thing will happen to us in the day and then he'll be up all night long. And then in the morning, he'd be like, I never slept a wink. I'm like, over what? And he's like, over this, whatever it was. Like, well, that wasn't, that wasn't anything. And, and sometimes we say to each other, we used to more probably than we do now. Um, 
but it's stressful when team members leave and team members will leave for any number of reasons. And, you know, largely has nothing to do with you. They have new opportunities. Their life, life has changed. There's any number of reasons why they do. And we used to always remind ourselves, look, as long as we are here, we will be fine. We can make this work. There are other people, you know, you, you need the team. That's critical, but you can continue to make it work. And so sometimes you have to put it back in perspective. This, whatever this is, is probably not going to put us out of business today. And so then you kind of work from, from that place. And then you start getting a bank of things. Like when the pandemic started, it was very scary for all businesses. And for a while there, we didn't know that we were going to get unbelievably, unbelievably busy. Um, but what you start doing is you start achieving these things in your career where something happens and you could be like, well, you know, I've gone through worse. Mm. Well, we've gone through worse, you know, and you start, you know, you start harkening back to those days where at least it's not that, at least it was not yeah. this. And right. this didn't put us out of business and neither did that and that and that. And so yeah. while everything might, it's always, there's always a chance for that. Probably whatever this is probably isn't going to. Yeah. So mental resilience and framing has become an important thing. It sounds like Leon, you and I are very similar. Uh, as I was reading this book, I'm like, my gosh, like he and I are very, very similar ideas driven. And then I tend to ruminate. So good or bad, I can get stuck on something. I don't yep. know if this would be a value add for you, but a friend of mine, his name is Dr. Peter Haberl. He's a senior sports psychologist for the U.S. Olympics. And he has a phrase, he says, attention is the currency of performance. Mm -hmm. And so when you get into these situations, what I've learned to do is just try to draw my attention to the moment and be like, this is where my attention is and to regain control and to direct it at action. Like that has been a game changer for me. I don't know if that's a value for you, but things like mindfulness training are really helpful. Yes. Yes. I love it. I absolutely love it. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, you got it. So one of the, another thing that I thought was really interesting about you guys is this isn't just like warm cookie delivery, which is a fascinating thing. And the concept of how you get, a, especially a cookie, like from the small little thing from a shop onto a location, there's been a lot of innovation and a lot of thinking outside the box that's enabled you guys to succeed. Can you talk about some of the innovations? Because you guys talk about being a technology company too. Yeah. Um, so the technology has been really important to us in growing the brand, scaling the brand, um, and being able, even from back from the earlier days, it helped us be a relatively two-man show. It was just the two of us, plus uh, you know everybody who was doing the work at the stores, but on the headquarters level, really just us two. And technology was able to allow us to manage from afar, to really understand what was going on every day with the company. And we built that from scratch just because we couldn't find anything off the shelf that worked for us. And that decision may have been different now because there are so, so there's just so much out there. When we did this, it was back in 2005 and there wasn't a lot out there. The easier thing would have been to just use, co cobble together whatever technology it, uh, was available to us and it wouldn't work perfect, um, but it'd be cheaper and um, pl plug and play. But then because we started so long ago, there was nothing. And because of that, we had to build it. And because we had to build it, we were able to build it exactly how we needed it built and we started to realize that was our advantage that what we we're able to do um and what we didn't realize we we're doing uh, until very recent was we've kind of just built a platform um this this whole thing everything goes through cookiedelivery.com whether you're through our app or the website um and the amount of data that we are able to utilize and hold that um, it has been a, a real benefit to us um and the, the able we're able to make the customer experience elite because you're not you're not doing anything just because well you can't put in comments because there's no box to put in comments we we own the technology we'll do whatever it takes to make sure the customers have the best experience um so technology for us isn't the end it's a tool to help give the ultimate customer experience and we call it warm moments it's all based on how can we best give war help deliver warm moments um, and we use technology as a tool for that Perfect segue. 
why are warm moments so important? Like this is a key part of your brand and something I think you guys realized over time, but let's, let's double click on that for a second. We'll talk about warm moments and what that means for you. Warm moments is something that we didn't, they were almost sort of delivered to us over the years. And so customers will, will ping in and say, I ordered for this reason and it was meaningful to me because of this, or I had this experience and it was so special between me and somebody else. Um, and what we found over the time was people were, the brand was resonating with people early and we didn't really understand why. Um, but they sort of fed us that information. And finally, after many years, we compiled it down. We said, okay, people are having these warm, connectable moments with each other by either sharing a box of these warm, fresh cookies or by sending them to each other. And especially because our gifting is so big, such a big part of what we do. And so we found that people really they're attaching to the brand because they're attaching to this experience they're having with each other. We saw a ton of it through the shutdown in 2020. You really saw when people no longer could get together, even more so they were really, but they needed it. You know, you needed to connect with other people, whether you're face-to-face with them or not. And the cookie delivery service, and because we've always put such an emphasis on that customer experience and the gifting experience, it's important to us that that goes well for you. And so it's something that you're able to do for a special moment. Right. And by special moment, we're talking about we've people have emailed us pictures of proposals using a box of tips treats. Um, people have emailed us saying that um, their uh, grandpa, uh, the, their, the last meal, the last snack they shared before he passed away. Um, he wanted, he just wanted a box of tips treats, uh, you know, all sorts of these incredible opportunities. That's like, to connect incredibly impactful. I mean, that like takes a sense of purpose when it gets hard. Do you guys think about these people? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. We, we talk with our staff about it too. Why it's so important to give the best customer service possible. It goes beyond sales and profits and all of this. Uh, it is truly look at the end of the day, we don't know what all of these deliveries are, but what we're starting to get feedback on is a huge portion of them. All of them are, are, are made in order to bring joy to somebody, whether you're at an office and you want to order with your coworkers. And for that moment during the workday, you want to share in those cookies and have a moment of joy and relaxation. Or if you're sending a gift for some of those moments that we've talked about, mm-hmm. um, the whole point of, of your order uh, is to bring joy to somebody. And so we really want to make sure that we don't mess that moment up. Yeah. We, um, or Leon started doing this at the beginning of some of our board meetings, actually every board meeting now we'll put up one of these letters that a customer has sent in one that's sticking out. My mind was a condolence. Um, we, we get a lot of condolence situations and they were saying we had a situation and so many people sent us tips, treats. We just felt so loved. Um, and it was a reminder that, you know, we're not alone, we're loved and all of this. And it's up there on the board before we start the board meeting. Mm. And it's to recenter to say, okay, every decision we're going to make in here, let's keep in mind that this is what it means to customers. And the this is why the customer experience is so important. So, and then we're going to start talking about, you know, they're going to start wanting to say, okay, how can we slash costs, you know, things like this. And then you recenter around, okay, let's make decisions around what is going to support the brand. Right. Wow. There's so many questions I would selfishly like to ask um, about like how you uh, develop these customer personas and other things, but that, that I'll, I'll save that for another time. I want to keep this on task. Cause this is like what you guys are doing from afar. I just have to say it is so impressive to see, like, I'll just give you an example. We had a church planning meeting, building a new facility. That'll be an outreach center for our community. Soon as this huge event was over with, guess what was waiting for us outside in the hallway? Tip streets. And everybody was like, ah, you know, opening the, the red velvet. And it was just like this, like you're capping these wonderful moments off with something else. So I've personally experienced it. I'm glad you've been able to literally kind of tie a bow around what this actually means. But I want to transition here for a second and talk about kids. Um, kids are a blessing, but they also change things. I've got three boys, nine, six, and 20 months old. 
And, you know, they change the way that you work. They change the way that you interact. You guys are not running a small business anymore. This is a big, large company. How have children impacted the way that you guys work together and maybe the way that you even treat your employees or the way that you look at the company? Oh man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, absolutely game-changing, life-changing in every way, shape, or form, personally, for everybody. Uh, for what it's meant for the business, for me, uh, I highlight it briefly in the book, but for someone who, since I was 19 years old, has been just obsessed with one thing, and that's growing the business, day and night, dreaming about the business when I'm sleeping, it, it, for me, it, it has been so good to balance my life out. And I think it's helped the business for me to not be thinking about it every single moment. You know, it's, it's, it, 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 it lets my, lets me have a mental break from the business because I need to focus on my children and in doing so, I think it does help the business. And so perspective for me, it's helped out a lot. It changed our schedules. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it, um, no question. It also happened at a time where we were going from being small-ish to getting bigger. And so we went from like a really free form. There weren't very many of us at the corporate level, like a handful. We worked from home. They worked from home. You know, we we saw each other some. We would do meetings, but it wasn't structured. And then when the kids come in, all of a sudden now you're you're having to structure it because you've got this, it's a completely separate full-time job. So you have to structure out when you're going to do things. It can't just flow throughout the day, Mm. or at least for us, it couldn't. Um, And that was probably a positive in pushing us in that direction of, we were getting into the point where we were needing to be a more professionalized business anyway. So now we've got, you know, an office and we're all here together at the, at the right time. And you've got times when you're working and then times when you're home and we don't separate it. A lot of people do where they're like, well, yeah. we're home. We're not working. We don't do that at all. But truly prior to kids, we had no schedule. We would just, we were probably bizarrely for people our age, cause we were full grown adults, but like, we would just like, work throughout the day and then we go to the gym and then we work some more. And then we got to this habit once where we were up until 2 AM every night, but like working and then we'd sleep later. And it was kind of, it's kind of nice to come in and just have like a schedule. So do the kids ever come to the office now? Yeah. Yeah. They love it here. You know, there's candy. Yeah. Not so much uh, during COVID, but uh, they, they do come in uh, a lot. And Tiff has, uh, done some baking videos with them. They like to bake cookies, obviously, uh, with their mom. And so we'll record that every once in a while, we'll throw something up on Instagram, uh, showing the twins. And now that they're seven, um, they're, they're starting to understand the business now. And, and well, they're starting to have their understanding of the business. They asked recently, mommy, is there more McDonald's or is there more Tiff's treats out? You know, so we're having to be like, no, no, there's definitely, definitely more McDonald's. That is so cool. Um, you know, there was a just a little personal anecdote. I when I worked for the Houston Texans, there was a Tiff's Treats right next to our stadium. Yeah, yeah. And I would go there when I first moved to town. I was I moved from Kentucky here and I'm by myself. And after work, I'd be like, Ugh, I want something. So I would just like drive over to the Tiff Streets and it was so what you know, such a warm thing. Um, and I just I don't know. It's really cool how you guys like reading through the book. I think people are going to get a better understanding, especially when we talk about your journey through fertility and how that impacted a lot of things like you showing up. What was the opening when you brought your kids? Which one was that one? Like oh, the- that was our San first Antonio. store in San Antonio. <sighs> and that was, they were kind they were like four weeks old or something, My- five weeks old. They were teeny. I mean, yeah. you are amazing for being there. I mean, I know you're opening a <laughs> well, store, but which number was that? Oh, 20, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I had never missed a grand opening and I didn't want to miss this one either. Um, So yeah, we packed up and we went and it was, you know, it felt like a disaster at first. And then we kind of got our legs under us and it, it it really wasn't, it was a nice, it was a nice visit to the store and I didn't do as much work 
there as I normally would have with the little babies in tow, but at least we got to go and, and see it and be a part of it. I thought that was a wonderful story. I, I, I really enjoyed, I'm going to go back and read this again because there were so many little stories in there. The pictures were awesome of like seeing you guys like going through this and the different crazy locations, the Scientology place. I mean, it was just, people are going to love this book. I want to talk about generosity because that's something that you guys take seriously and really find a lot of joy in. And I have a little story for you. Um, my son, Connor, plays baseball. And on his team, there's a little boy and his parents' name are Alexis and Peter. Oh. And they also have a little boy named, or they had a little boy named Connor. Mm-hmm. And they lost him to a rare form of cancer. And when I met Alexis and Peter, I was like, you know, I'm from Richardson, Texas. And they're like, Hey, any chance you know Tiffany and Leon? I'm like, well, Tiffany grew up right down the street. And then they <laughs> told me about your generosity to them that when you awesome. opened your woodland store. And uh, you guys donated profits to the Connorman Defeat DIPG Foundation, which ironically, my son's nickname is Connorman. And so I just wanted you guys to know what you're doing is having a real impact in people's lives. And that was a story that we were able to show. And actually, we're really good friends with them today. But I want to know, like, why is generosity so important? High performance isn't just reserved for elite athletes and those with unlimited resources. In my free newsletter called Adaptation, I provide you with curated information and resources to improve your health, well-being, and performance. I cover topics like sleep, stress, exercise, nutrition, and mental performance. You can sign up today for this free newsletter at www.ericcorum.com. Now, back to the show. Well, yeah, thanks, thank you. Thanks yeah, for saying that. that. We're, um, Not only are they a charity we work with, there are Connor Man is now one of our corporate charities. Um, that oh, wow. We with. Um, because it, we were connected with them because a long time uh, employee, now he's, I think he's a director here at Tiff mm-hmm. Streets. Uh, that's his cousin. Alexis is his cousin. And yeah, as we were doing grand openings and benefiting local charities, he brought this to us. And um, this was before we had kids, but you- it was before we had kids. But yeah, I think anybody can understand that the loss of a small child is, I mean, we can't even understand. Nobody can understand yeah. us. At any, at anybody can ha- feel that how unbelievably, unspeakably devastating that would be. Um, even more so after we did, we we ended up having kids. I guess shortly after that, or maybe we had littles. But um, it's it's, and that particular couple, they are so strong. They're so amazing. Mm-hmm. Zach Zach is the person who has worked with us for a long time. It's his cousin, and he brought it yeah. to us because grand openings for our first day of sales, we would always pick a local charity. And I think that's amazing. And that was fun. Yeah. It's It's so fun. Yes. And we had started that years before. And so that's, that's, that was a really fun part. Um, It's just super neat to feel like your day is making an impact. And one of the most fun things we did with some of them is we would have the people from the charity come. And so mm. for a time we were doing Make-A-Wish and even the Wish Kid would come and help us sell cookies. And so not only just are you having that donation, but you're also having this special day for the family. And that was really, really cool. And Zach brought this to us and said he had this charity opportunity. And so of course we jumped on it. So we did it for the Woodlands, as you said. We've done it for a few more. And to get to your question about generosity, it's for us, it doesn't even feel like... It, it just seems like there's no definition for us. Like, Hey, let's be a generous company. It just, that yeah, feels yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like for us, yeah. it just, why wouldn't we want to support our local communities? It doesn't seem like anything other than being decent, trying to be decent people. And, and right. so, but putting it into a company pillar is something that what we realize is that not just us, but our team really resonates with this because you want to have a purpose in life that isn't just about making money. Is it just about even your own family? It's about helping your community. And there's no better way than some of these charitable causes that we get to be a part of. And it lends itself to the brand. We're about warmth. We're about connecting people through warm moments. And it's not just the moments of joy, but there's moments of comfort as well. Um, Mm. And where people share these moments together and use tip streets. And so it just makes perfect sense. And when we do these openings, 
uh, where the entire first day of sales goes to the charity. We have we have to get up there like at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. Folks line up. Um, I think one time in Arlington, Texas, it was a 9 a.m. Saturday grand opening. The first people started getting in line at Friday at 7 a.m. So That's we're talking crazy. 26 <laughs> hours in advance. And then there's lines around the building uh, the entire day. And, we, you know, we, we've kind of changed it up during COVID and hopefully we'll be able to start getting back to more of these bigger openings. Um, but my point is our team that we used to staff these openings with uh, are usually all salaried management. We're talking the CFO, the COO, our uh, director of HR, our uh, our director of, uh, of real estate. They would all take their Saturdays and work these days and they're grueling and they're tiring. They're not making any extra money. These, this is mm -hmm. on a volunteer basis, but we would fill the staff out with people that wanted to give back to the community. So it's just always been something that's worked for us, something we actually genuinely enjoy doing mm -hmm. uh, and our team loves it too. Mm -hmm. I love it. I think it's awesome. I think the, the pictures of the, in the book of people wrapping around the block and excitement. I mean, it's pretty cool. I think there was one story about a lady that like flew to Georgia or something like that from yeah. Texas because she's like a super fan. No, I just think drove. It's, they drove. They drove, drove straight through the night. They they did an overnight, uh, and then when we we knew them because they had been to several of our Texas openings. So when we showed up to the first store in Atlanta. They were the first two people in line. Well, our jaws dropped. We were like, oh my God. They drove like, yeah, they said 15 here. hours yeah. or something like that, just to be the first people at our first store in Atlanta. There's a uh, an, an, an article that was written about a thousand true fans. I don't know if you've ever read this. It's fascinating. And it's about like the difference between somebody that's just like a follower and a fan. You could call it whatever, a loyalist. And like those, when you can find those people, that they literally say would drive 24 hours to do this one thing or would pay extra money for your album just because that's when you know you've got something that's really connecting with people. Um, and one of the things I think that, you know, you talked about in your book that's been one of the factors for success is that you guys have surrounded yourself with great people. And, you know, I would really like to understand a little bit more about how you do that. Like, how do you hire the right people? Is there a process for this? And then how do you balance those work relationships when they start blending into personal relationships? And like, where's the line on that? Those are great questions because yeah. it is so key and you can't do everything. Number one, you can't do everything yourself if you want to grow. Number two, there are so many people out there that are better than you at almost everything, if not everything. So you've got to get those experts around you or you're not going to be able to grow. Um, because you can't do it without that. And I think a lot of it, you know, some of it has been luck that we've mm -hmm. been lucky to be around the right people. Um, it, it's not always simple. And as you get bigger and bigger, it's not always simple to know after an interview that you've got the right person. Um, I think a personal connection with them always helps. And, you know, you're asking about blending. If you're not, if these are key people around you and you don't want to go have dinner with them, then that's not going to be a very fun experience. You spend a lot of your time with these people. So it is important that you have a connection that you get along with them. And as far as the blending, and I know exactly what you're talking about, and you must be going through some stuff or have as far as learning to be, be a leader and a boss and a manager is you got to keep everyone focused on the goal at hand. And if, as long as everyone's clear where, what, what, you need out of them and what you need out of yourself, what they should expect out of you. As long as all that's clear, uh, the, then the boundaries don't have to be rigid, um, if that makes sense, as far as being, being a friend, being a mentor, being a boss. Um, it's very difficult. We learned early on because, as you know, uh, uh, when we needed delivery drivers, uh, as we were start, starting to grow, we hired four guys, our friends' little brothers, from your high school, from our yes. high school to be our delivery drivers. And they were, gosh, not even two years uh, younger than us. So we learned very early on uh, how to manage that relationship, uh, the friendship. And, yeah, and, we and, weren't very good managers <laughs> at the time. Um, and I think 
how do you say you do have to have some boundaries, right? Because yeah. it is a working relationship. So while you want to, uh, you know, be with people and be surrounded by people that you enjoy being with, you're probably not going to be best friends with every single one of them because sometimes it's it may just not be appropriate or it may just not be conducive to a working relationship. And that was kind of hard for us too yeah. because when we were young. Uh, we spent all of our time at the business. So the only people we ever saw besides each other were the people that worked there. And we became very, so they become very your friends. They yeah. were our yeah. only friends. And yeah. then as we kind of grew, it sort of naturally separated. I remember being at the store and then one of our guys who we were really good friends with, he says, see you Monday. And we were like, oh, okay, we're not going to spend the weekend with him. And this was kind of just a turning moment of, okay, I get it. We're yeah. starting to have some separation but, here. But once you get through that, they've like these four guys that, you know, they, uh, they're still with the company today, 20 something years later, three of them left and came back one stayed the whole time. Uh, and once you get through that bumpiness, as far as figuring out your relationship, now it's like their family. It's like, now yeah. that now it's become a thing where where there's a lot of trust built up over the years and so number one advice on hiring and bringing in everybody anybody is that you have to build trust you have to have trust in them you have to build trust and make sure that you show them a reason to trust you as well i think without that then it's it's not going to work out yeah this is uh this is good wisdom here because accountability you know i spent my most of my career in coaching and mm -hmm. so the x is pretty, we call the X or the, the goal is pretty clearly defined. You either win or lose every Saturday or Sunday and the whole world judges you and you're in the newspaper, et cetera. And there's, you want to hire people that you enjoy being around because you're there forever. But at the same time, there has to be accountability and, you know, you have to hold people accountable, but I think there's a good way and a bad way to do that. And it seems like y'all have kind of struck the balance between, Hey, let's be good human beings but also have a level of accountability. And I think it goes back to your trust factor, right? Yeah, we talk about that all the time, or Leon does specifically because, you know, he grew up playing sports, how it's so much easier when the goal is black and white, the performance is black and white. You either did a good job or you didn't, you won or you lost. You're better at this and mm -hmm. he's better at that. Um, in business, it's all very gray. And so sometimes it can be hard to understand did you do a good job at this? Are you better at this than they are or are yes. they better than, than you? And um, so th that can be a lot more challenging. And I, I think in terms of getting along with people, if the work's not being done well, then it almost kind of erodes any kind of friendship you would have on, on a working level anyway, because that really is, that's the goal. If everything's going swimmingly at work, then it's much easier to have that relationship. Yeah. Accountability is huge on, on our end. And we had to learn that over the years. Um, and I, that's another one of those things that it's still a work in progress because, uh, you, what, what you realize is one size does not fit all. There are certain people that cannot be spoken to like a coach would speak to a player hundred oh, percent and then there's some people that need that that almost yeah. need that yeah. like uh, like motivation and being called out on and uh, but and so it's really different in the workforce and in, in in business as tiff says there's just so much gray and everybody's different i love it your story about valentine's day and how that got ruined uh, yes. really like Res resonated with me and, and you know kind of how that led to a shift to the importance of details when i worked for you guys there's a coach called jimbo fisher he's at a and i worked for him at florida state and he had a saying that said you're either coaching it or you're letting it happen mm. and you guys kind of had this eye-opening moment can you guys talk about like why the details are so important but also just want to tag this on there how do you keep an eye on the details without micromanaging people yeah. Oh my gosh. Great question. I feel like any manager gets accused of micromanaging a lot because people don't want to feel micromanaged. Yeah. The, uh, we'll start with the micromanaging. Th that has become a bad word um, in the world of business. But uh, what we realize is some folks have taken that to mean no managing. 
So uh, micromanaging to us is different in the sense that uh, we, by nature, and it's almost better at our scale now than it was when we were smaller. We can't manage everything anymore. When we were smaller, you did that battle, like, should I get in on this? Should I make sure this is going well? Because we physically could be there. Now the business is so big and there's so 1,200 people. No, 2,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. At this point, we're about at 2,000 people. We can't micromanage even if we wanted to anymore. Yeah. Um, but that what we always want to train our leaders about is that you holding somebody accountable is not micromanaging. You you cannot use micromanagement as an excuse to forego accountability. And yes. we think, we feel that a lot of first time leaders, a lot of first time managers, they hear no micromanaging, no micromanaging. So they they let allow it to happen as Jimbo Fisher taught you. And <laughs> <Yeah>. so we're, <laughs> we have to go back and, and and make sure that our team is trained and empowered. Look accountability and there's a difference between accountability and micromanagement and um, there's a fine line between that uh, but you your job is to make sure that there is accountability in your team yeah and that was one thing we learned about empowering somebody doesn't mean just letting them loose to do anything they want um, that's actually not supporting them and that we made that mistake at first we we're like well, let's empower them to you know run this location the way they see fit and it ended up just diverging from the, the other locations in Austin and it was kind of running a separate business. And that's when we realized, okay, we've, um, we didn't empower anything. We, we took hands off totally. And that's not supporting them or helping mm -hmm. them or getting us to a common goal at all. So there's a middle ground between giving support having accountability and accountability is tough. You know, it's, it's, nobody wants to be it's not fun. Nobody wants to be the one being held accountable and nobody wants to hold other people accountable. I, I don't either. You know, it's tough. That is a really hard thing to hold yourself to doing. I, I definitely think that that's something you have to get good at quickly if you're starting your own business. Mm -hmm. um, if you can't do that, you need to find someone to help you do that or else it's not going to work, the accountability. But Valentine's Day. Why don't you tell them what happened on this particular Valentine's so, Day that we talked Valentine's about? Oh, there's many Valentine's Day. Oh, there's, there's many. So many. <laughs> I mean, there's many. So I like to think of Valentine's Days in almost like threes. There's a good one. There's a eh one, and then there's just an awful one, and then we'll repeat. Yeah. And so year by year. So at this point, we've we've done like 23 Valentine's Days to varying levels of success. Yeah, it's like our Super Bowl Sunday. It's the biggest day of the year. It's, yeah, you prepare we, for yeah. it all year long. Yeah. And then sometimes it goes off. This well, is so cool. <laughs> Keep going. This is neat. And that still happens. I mean, it's always like you wake up on that morning and you just, you don't know how you're going to go to bed that night. You may go to bed like triumphant or you may go to bed in tears. We have uh, store managers that get up to their stores. They, they leave the night before at 8 p.m. because they're busy prepping, but then they go home and they sleep and then they show up at their stores at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. because it's, it's that big of a day. Yeah, we always take um, umbrage with that movie Valentine's Day. Um, I don't know if you know, it's one of those compilation movies that has like a ton of stars in it. And I think yes, yes. And he is a florist on Valentine's Day. And the whole day he's kind of going around like dropping off some flowers and having some coffee and doing all this. We're like, no, 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 that is not what Valentine's Day looks like for somebody in our industry it is all hands on deck it is crazy 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 so what happened this so um on this one the one that you're referring to first problem out of the gate was that we started getting complaints that our cookies tasted salty because um we used to put for our sugar cookies we used to put sugar on top sprinkle on top and we still do yeah. but we used to put them in salt shakers because that's that that made sense right yeah, yeah. Um, and uh so what happens is sugar and salt look exactly alike in a salt shaker uh we had filled our salt shaker up with salt uh, and mm. uh and we started sprinkling them on top of cookies and we thought it was going to be sugar but by the time the complaints started coming in i mean uh, hundreds of these had gone out they've been totally sprinkled and not in the way these days where it's cool where you do like a sprinkling of sea salt we're talking about like a big douse of table salt <laughs> i really can imagine food. biting into this thing and be like oh, oh no we did it was awful yeah so the complaints come in leon marches over to the table takes one taste sure enough that's salt in there and not sugar we're trying to undo this 
problem when a bigger problem comes in, which is customers calling in saying, I guess it's about 11 a.m. at this point, and they had never received their 9 to 11 order. The morning order didn't show up. And then it's like, call, 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 call. And we couldn't find the orders. It wasn't like, oh, we were late or we were behind or whatever. We had no record of these orders. And what we found was we had two different online ordering systems. One was how you, you put your this order is online. back in the day. Now it's obviously all integrated, but this is back yeah, yeah. when online this ordering is, was pretty new. Yeah, well, I think we had built our custom software in 2005, and this is like roughly 2007. And so we had these two systems, but they didn't talk to each other. So what we would do is when an online order came in, we would print it, and then we would transfer it into our custom software. And what had happened was a ton of these orders had been marked as red, but not actually transferred over. And on top of that, at the time, we were not reconciling our deposits. So when people oh would make goodness. a deposit, um, like they would pay for something with a credit card, we didn't have a way to reconcile that against the sales. We just took the sales at face value. Had we reconciled those deposits, we would have known, hey, we've got thousands of dollars out here and no orders that match up with them. But we didn't have any of these systems. So we didn't find out until 11 a.m. on Valentine's Day that we had hundreds of orders that we didn't know we had. We didn't, we, we didn't have the bandwidth to accommodate them. They were already late at this point. We start getting people trying to enter them in. Uh, my mom was there. I've had her at the computer trying to <laughs> enter them in. And um, it just, the wheels just started really, really coming off. And once something so like that happened. How did that like change the way that you did things, like the details? You know what I'm saying? Like, what did you change after that? So, so like to try to mitigate from this ever happening again? Yeah. So then you, you come in and you start making wholesale changes to how do you store the salt in the space? You know, we I think we exited the salt as much as possible or we put it in totally different bags, make sure it was labeled totally differently because previous to that, the salt and the sugar had been in the same bin. So easy mm. to make that you just start making, you, you realize that when the pressure goes on a day, it exposes a bunch of weaknesses. And so we just started one by one going through those weaknesses and saying, we've got, we have to fix this. You look at I it think- like you would in the sports world, you look at it like you would game film. Okay. Where did this go wrong? How do I correct this? How do I practice this? Years and years later, uh, 10 years later, I would go into a store and still sprinkle the salt, the sugar on my hand and lick my hand make sure it was indeed sugar, even though we knew that we had put together a process that did away with the ability for that to happen, I would still make sure of it. Yeah. And so just and really paying attention yeah. to that. Which we called salt in the sugar shaker. Yeah. So it was just sort of a theme of ours. Is there salt in your sugar shaker? Meaning are things in the store in order? Do we have everything the way it's supposed to be? Is our technology lined up for success? Um, or do we have salt in the sugar shaker? Meaning it's a mess. Yeah, I think this is a, a point for everybody to listen to. Like, you need to pressure test things. Yeah. You know, we used to say when pressure comes, your habits come to the surface. Yeah. And yes. whenever you have a system, when you put pressure on it, you're going to find things. And I really empathized or had compassion for that. But at the same time, like, there's a reason, as I'm reading this, there's a reason you guys are successful. Lazy people don't learn. You guys weren't lazy. You're not lazy. You are very innovative, very smart, hardworking. And as these things are happening, you're like, we're going to fix that. And then we're going to create a process. And so as a, I think this is a business builder's playbook personally. Great. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I stink and love the book. My last question for you though, why did you give away all the recipes? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a great gosh. Question. We never have done anything even close, not even one, never. Yeah, well, to, uh, we'll preface this by saying, A, these are homemade versions of the recipes. Okay. Our recipes are made in giant, giant facilities <laughs> with um, silos, of, you know, so you can't, the actual recipe that makes the cookies is different when you're sitting there with a little bag of sugar. 100%. So- they're the homemade versions of our recipes. And B, it was, it's almost kind of to prove a point in a sense. It and that is what Tiff's Treats stands for. Anybody could make a good cookie. I mean, there are mm-hmm. so many good cookies out there. There really are that we enjoy, that our kids enjoy, that are not Tiff's Treats. What makes Tiff's Treats special is not just the 
the actual cookie itself. It's the way that it's made, the way that it's delivered to you still warm, and it's the whole entire experience and what we're striving to do. And so that's what makes Tiff Street successful. You could take a, uh, you know, you could take a lesser cookie and maybe do as well. And quality is still super, super important to us. And like the cookies have to pass Tiff's taste test. So they're still like it. the best of the best as far as the cookies go. But yeah. for us, it's so important. Um, everything else, everyone thinks it's just just the recipe. It's not the recipe. It's everything else behind that. And I'll let you kind of explain. Yeah, that. I mean, and and then it, it is funny. We've never even considered doing recipes. And then when the book was coming up, I think our publisher was, she read what, um, like a beginnings of what the book would be about. And she's like, I was flipping through looking for recipes. And we were like, oh, that honestly never even occurred to us. But what would be fun is we do have these special recipes that we only debut limited time. Um, mm. And they're like a little bit the more the fun ones. Um, and so we thought, you know, what would be fun is to make homemade versions of those that people can do at home. And like to Leon's point, there's still a place for getting warm cookies delivered to somebody else. You, you can know? make a pizza at home, but are, what's easier buying all the ingredients and sitting there all day and, and making a pizza and then, or just yeah, going online. I, I think the value proposition's different. real and demonstrated. Yes. I want to order yes. cookies. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on what you want to do that day, but yeah, you can kind of bring tips, treats into your home in a, in a different way um, mm -hmm. with these recipes, uh, or you can use this in the traditional way too. And I think there's, there's room for both in the same house. So I'm just going to like, like, if you're listening to this, you need to buy the book. It's not just cookies. First of all, follow them on Instagram at Tiff's Treats. I get, I, I now follow you guys for the past month or so. And I just get, I salivate every time I look at your Instagram feed, but you can pre-order this book. You can pre-order on, on Amazon, on Target, on Barnes and Noble. But if you pre-order on your website, Correct me if I'm wrong. CookieDelivery.com. You get a twenty dollar voucher for Tiff Street. So, actually, you true? could order. You could pre-order on any of those places you mentioned, and then you go to our website and enter in your uh, your confirmation code. So yeah, you can wow. get so the twenty dollar voucher is good anywhere you buy the book. You just come back to CookieDelivery.com, put in your confirmation number, and then we will email you your voucher. That's crazy. Like you're basically offsetting the cost of the book. Plus you get the recipes. Plus you get like all the secrets to your success. I mean, this is like, this is, this is one of those things you would see on an infomercial. Plus, you know, it's like, it's really <laughs> right, right. It's yeah. fantastic. It's a, so it's a pre-order special. Uh, the book isn't going to come out for at least another month, uh, you know, uh -huh. so pre-order now at, at this, at this time. So pre-order yeah. now and you get it. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it. And I'm excited for the rest of the world to read this book. They're going to love it. Um, thank, thank you, you so, so much, much, Eric. Thanks for having us. If this episode inspired you, please share it with someone else who could use this positive message. And please check out Tiff and Leon's new book, It's Not Just Cookies. Thanks for joining us today. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all of our other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home online at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.